good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn to God tonight again in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 6. And so it says in the verse number 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it is my intention tonight to begin our studies in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. And the petition we have in verse number 10 of Matthew 6, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But before we come to think through this petition, let me remind you of a very important principle. Now, these first three petitions are all about God. Now, they're all to do with God in his person and in his workings. That teaches us a very important lesson regarding our prayer lives. An important lesson regarding the priorities in our prayer lives. Often, especially privately, our prayer lives focus on our, on our situations. Focuses upon our sins and our sicknesses. And here in the Lord's pattern prayer, we, we see the Lord telling us where our desires should begin. First, the honor of God. Second, the rule of God. And third, the will of God. The Lord is clearly giving us his divine seal of approval upon praying for things that pertain to your own lives. The Lord says, yes. Make sure and pray for your bread. Make sure and pray about your sins and your temptations and troubles. But make sure you prioritize your prayers properly. Make sure you understand that the important things have to do with the kingdom of God. And is seeking first the kingdom of God. And chiefly that God's name is glorified in all that we would say and do and think. And so with that in mind again, we can, we can consider then this third petition. And the first thing we've got to ask ourselves the question is, what do we mean when we speak of God's will? Well, in the Bible, there are two aspects in which the will of God is discussed. Stating clearly what you mean when you're using the will of God is, is very, very important. There are two distinct ways to talk about God's will. Now, I did not say, and I will not say, that there are two wills in God's there is no conflict or confusion in the God marked by divine simplicity. But there is more than one way to talk about the will of God. And we see that in the word of God, the, the, the terms or similar terms about the will of God are used in different ways. We talk about the secret will of God, i.e. that will that is, is not revealed. We talk about the decreed will of God, another term for that same thing, secret, decreed. We're, of course, referring to, to God's plan, the will of God in, in that sense. We also talk about the revealed will of God. So immediately you're referring to two different things. One is revealed and one is not revealed. The revealed will, we may term the 
perceptive will of God, God's will of command. And so even that very, very simple distinction of definition, you see that there are, there are two ways in which the will of God is discussed. Not only by theologians, but even, even within, within the word of God itself. Uh, let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 29, the verse number 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to your children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are some things that are secret, that are not revealed. And there are those things that are revealed that have to do with the obedience to the law of God. So there's a text itself that, again, defines and has a distinction in how the will of God might be used. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to consider the two separately. And to begin with, I want to think about God's will of decree. Now, when the will of God is discussed in this way, we can sum it up very simply. Whatever, God's, whatever God wills, will happen. And whatever happens is according to God's will. That's how you define God's secret will. Turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. And you see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, there's a, a reference to the will of God. And the, the term will is actually used in Ephesians chapter 1. We are, of course, predestinated, verse 11, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You hear your description of, of human history. The, the God of heaven, who has, of course, uh, chosen his people unto himself. That, that same God is the God who works all things. Everything after the counsel of his own will. What God chose to do in his will, that became his counsel. And that counsel was then purposed in time. And all things happen according to that purpose. History is the outworking of God's eternal will. And so what was God's secret will for today? Simply, everything has happened. Whatever happened today, that has been God's secret will for today. What is God's secret will for tomorrow? I don't know. But everything that happens tomorrow will be according to God's secret will. There's nothing that happens outside God's will. God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. And in that sense, God's will, we could say, is, first of all, eternal. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, the verse number 4, we have the description of how we're chosen before the foundation of the world. And in the Bible, we understand there's a, a coming together of the term election, choosing, and predestination, verse number 5. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're predestinated unto the adoption of children. And that's according to the good pleasure of his will. And so you see here that the will of God is eternal. It's the will of God that predates time itself. It is his eternal purpose. Because it is eternal, it is therefore, secondly, unchangeable. Can't alter God's eternal will. What God has chosen to do today was settled in time before time began. I understand there's a confusion of terminology there. I'm using it deliberately. We talk about eternity past. Not that there's any time in eternity, but before time began, there was a time when God's will was. It's eternal. It's unchangeable. God's will has always been his will. It's always been his purpose. 
Yeah, that goes beyond our comprehension. But as God cannot change, so his will cannot change. And we see that in the third place because God's will is certain. God's will always comes to pass. Turn to Isaiah 46, please. When you turn to Isaiah 46, and just as you're turning there, uh, perhaps you could listen to uh, the quotation of Numbers 23 and the verse 19. Uh, The Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Text describing God's unchangeable will. When God says something, he will do it. God's not like man. You know, any, of the, any of the kids here will understand that uh, their, their parents are not like God. Parents will often say things that they're, they're going to do, but they don't do it. They don't, they don't carry out their word for, for various reasons. That's never true of God. Whatever God says he's going to do, that is what he, he does. But in Isaiah 46, we see that this idea of God doing what he says he will do is connected with his eternal counsel. Isaiah 46 in the verse number 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Down in verse 11. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. As as Numbers 23 refers to God being unchangeable in doing what he says he'll do, so Isaiah 46, as a parallel text, shows us that God says what is his counsel. God tells us what is his purpose, and when he tells us his purpose, then he will certainly bring it to pass. God's will is unchangeable, and it is certain. But God's will is also particular. God's will is not just for the global issues of the world and the gospel, but God's will also pertains to the individual. It's eternal, unchangeable, certain and particular. Please turn uh, to Psalm 139. Uh, We noticed this text in our recent studies on the subject of abortion and the, uh, the fact that God is working in the womb, molding, creating, uh, making individuals made by the very fingers of God. But you'll also note in verse number 16 where it says, Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So before anything takes place in our lives, the word of God tells us that everything is in God's book. It's a picture of God's eternal will, that God has not only purpose to do things, but has recorded that purpose, if you like, in the annals of heaven. And God unfolds that purpose for us individually. So that believers can say in James chapter 4, only if the Lord wills, will I do this or that or such a thing. So God's will, this secret decreed will of God, This will is eternal, unchangeable. It is certain none can stay God's hand or say unto him, what doest thou? And it is a will that comes down to the particular details of each and every person in his creation. There's nothing outside the control of God's sovereign will. But the question then comes, 
Is this what is in view in the third petition? Well, there are many good men, more able than me, who who think it is. They think when it's praying, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, they think they're referring to this concept of God's decreed will. If so, what is this petition? Well, it's a petition for submission to whatever God has purposed in our lives. It is a prayer for the submission of Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a prayer for that submissive spirit to whatever God purposes in our lives, though they be adverse circumstances in our own experience. It's praying that we be submissive to God's will. The story is told of Alan Cameron. Alan Cameron was the father of Richard Cameron, the covenanter in Scotland. Those are difficult days for covenanters in the 17th century. And those who were opposed to the freedom to bring the gospel beheaded Richard, the covenanter, removed his hands and brought his hands to his father. And they said to the father, do you recognize these hands? And the father said, they are my sons, my dear sons. It is the Lord. Good is the will of the Lord. And so if you're praying for this prayer in that sense, that's the submission involved. And praying thy will be done. Now that spirit is vital for all Christians. It's crucial to understand that God's eternal will is something that we must submit to and not resist. God's will is as it is. And the will of God for the believer is a will for our good. Though men may think evil against us, God means it for good. And there is uh, within the heart of the believer the the vital importance of this submissive spirit. It's crucial to trust the will of God if we are to know the peace of God. However, I don't believe that is the main thrust of this petition. These petitions desire change. God's will is being done. Period. And what is more, when you look at Matthew chapter 6 again and you see the petition here, thy will be done in earth as is in heaven. If you see the will of God to refer to God's will of decree, it doesn't seem to explain the qualifying phrase in earth as it is in heaven. How do you explain that in terms of God's decreed will? Does that not suggest that the will of God is not being done in earth now? Is there a sense in which God's decrees are being thwarted on the earth? I don't think so. So therefore, I respectfully differ from those who may suggest this prayer is for God's will of decree to be done. Now, I want to be clear, it is vital that we understand God's will and submit to it in this sense. But I feel that this petition focuses chiefly on the second way of speaking of God's will. Or shorter catechism puts it this way, in the third petition, which is thy will be done in earth as is in heaven, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. And so having thought about God's will of decree, I want to think in the second place about God's will of desire. So when God's will is discussed in this way, we are thinking about God's will or God's desire for men as to how they ought to live. This 
is complex. For what we understand is that it is God's revealed will, it is God's revealed desire that men do not sin. And yet it is God's decreed will that in permission men sin. One thing you cannot do is simply deny that there is such a thing as the secret will of God or the decreed will of God. Nor can you deny the fact that God's commandments are a revelation of his will, of his desire. God desires that men love God first and love their neighbor. The revealed will of God is summarized for us in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments, in the two words, love God and love your neighbor. Dr. Cairns, in his work on the Lord's Prayer, in defining this petition, says this petition is a prayer for obedience to the revealed will of our Father, that is, to his actual commandments. It's a prayer for obedience to the commandments of God. And so with that in mind, I want to spend the rest of tonight, and I would imagine next week at least, in unpacking some of the the details regarding God's will to desire in terms of this particular petition. And the first thing tonight then is the revelation of God's will. God's will of desire is revealed in his word. You can consider all of Psalm 119. All the terms that are used for, for God's will, his decrees, his commandments, his precepts, his judgments, all of those things are, are revealed in the, in the word of God. God's commands. But please turn to Acts chapter 13. Because I want you to appreciate that uh, this understanding of God's will is not, it's not forced into the Bible by theologians who are trying to untangle difficult knots. But actually in the language of the word of God itself, the will of God is used in terms of what God desires, in terms of God's commandments. It's used that way. Acts 13, the verse number 22, we have a sermon of Paul. And he's outlining some of the background of Jewish history. And he, he makes this comment regarding David. Verse 22, And when he removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To him also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, there's a sense in which we all Fulfill all of God's will. As I've said, there are no accidents in this world. Whatever happens tomorrow happens according to the will of God. And as we act and function in the world, we're fulfilling the will of God. That's Even that's not what's meant in this term. The contrast between David is a contrast between David and Saul. Saul, the son of Sis. A man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years, he was removed as king. Now, you keep your eye on Acts 13, the verse number 22, and listen to, listen to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And in 1 Samuel 13, we have in the verse 13, Samuel speaking to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. 
So the contrast between David and Saul is that David will do that which the Lord commanded. And that's what explains the term used in Acts chapter 13 and the verse number 22. He shall fulfill all my will. In other words, he will do all of my commandments. And so the will of God is used, in a sense, to define the commandments of God or the desires of God, the precepts of God. You see, we can understand the will of God. We, we do not know the future. One of the things that young people often will ask you is, you know, Pastor, how, how can I come to know the will of God? And I'll generally respond, if you mean how can you know the future, you can't. But if you mean how can you know what God would have you to do in terms of life, well, you can know that and you find that in the Bible. Oh, there's more to it than that, I appreciate but in simple terms, we cannot know the future, but we can know God's will for our lives. We can know the will of God. Ephesians chapter 5, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We can study the will of God. We can know how we ought to live in this area or that area. We can read of God's will for the husband or the wife or the children. We can read that in the Bible. We can know the will of God by studying and searching through the precepts of God's will. That's how we know the will of God. We know God's will for the church. We know God's will for, for elders and for members. We understand these things because they've been revealed to us in the word of God. We can fulfill God's will by grace. Hence, being the will of a good God, it's a revealed will that is for our good. God's character is revealed in his will. And thus, when we see God's good character in his will... We see that which is for our good. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, in light of the gospel, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, or reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renew of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As a young person, I once... Uh, more than once heard this text preached on that, that dear young people if you want to know the will of God for your life you've got to be putting your body on the altar to sacrifice you've got to make sure you're not being conformed to this world and you, you say so, oh so the reason I don't know what I should do next year is because I'm not sold out to God the way I should be it was a guilt trip on young people and it wasn't a faithful rendition of this text the sense of the text is this Present your bodies, do not be conformed to this world, and as you live a godly life, you will then prove that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the sense. You test the word. It's a term of proving. As you obey God's will, you then test the will of God and you prove the will of God to be good and acceptable and perfect. And so the will of God here is describing the commandments of God by which we live in obedience and then find ourselves coming to testify that will is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, we must always challenge the unconverted. Disobedience is, is folly. At times the child of God will deliberately ignore the plain teaching of Scripture because they think they know it's best. 
The psalmist says, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. It is God's good will revealed by a good God for the good of his creatures. And that if they live according to that will, it is for their good. And Christian, you find yourself in this time of choice. Will I do what God commands or will I do what seems to be expedient? Do what God commands and you will prove the will of God is good and acceptable and pleasing unto him. Unsaved soul, you think to yourself that there's joy and freedom and prosperity in doing your own thing. I challenge you, test the will of God. Do what God has you to do in your life. Test that out in your experience and I, I guarantee you will find that God's will is good. I didn't say it's easy, but it is good. In keeping of them, there is great reward. And thus, as God's will of desire is revealed, it is something we do. Not simply something we submit to. Not everyone said the Lord. Not everyone that said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not a proof text. The will of God is something we do. Not simply something we submit to. All I want you to see tonight is that to pray thy will be done. To pray that in understanding as a prayer for obedience is consistent with the testimony of the word of God regarding the term, the will of God. It's not manufactured. It's not to try to unsolve a problem. It's because the word of God itself refers to the will of God this way. 1 John 2 and the verse 17. And the world passed away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The will of God is something we do, not something, simply something we submit to. And it is that will that we do by grace. Paul prays that the God of peace would make us perfect in every good work to do his will. Hebrews 13, 21. We need the God of grace to make us perfect so that we will do his will. Hence, we're praying for this. We're coming, we're praying, thy will be done. By thy grace, make us able to do the will of God, to obey the will of God, to know the will of God, to submit to the will of God. That is, I believe, what this text means. Thy will be done. May God be pleased to help us obey his revealed will. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.